This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, we are gearing up for blueberry harvest here in the United States, starting, of course, with Florida. So I thought we'd kick off the season with a spotlight on the Sunshine State. Joining me for that is Brittany Lee. Some of you may remember Brittany when we featured her back in episode 53, and I'm very glad that she's willing to come back for another interview. So Brittany, thanks again for joining me on The Business of Blueberries. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here. And as always, I'm uh, excited to represent Florida, the cornerstone of the domestic blueberry industry. That's right. So, uh, you know, what's significant here is, you know, a bit of a transition that's taking place. We do a weekly crop report on this podcast, as you know, uh, and that has been being handled by Ken Patterson over the years. And I understand you're taking over for Ken on the weekly crop report for Florida. Uh, those are, you know, some pretty big shoes to fill. Past chair of NABC, he's a Florida Blueberry Hall of Famer. How are you feeling about it? Well, I'm not sure if it's an honor or a curse, but Ken has been a, a great Florida grower, a pioneer in his own right, and a very well-respected member of not just the Florida growing community, but, you know, the domestic and international growing community. So I'm excited to uh, try and live up to what he's already uh, laid the groundwork for. Yeah, it's been a great, I think, you know, opportunity for the industry to hear from the different sections of production in the United States, the voices that come on. And it just, it really has been a, a really great value, I think, for our industry to hear these different voices. So it'll be great to have yours every week on that crop report. I appreciate your willingness to volunteer and step into that role for Ken. We're grateful for his legacy and his leadership, as you know. But for those of you in our audience who haven't met Brittany yet at one of our industry events, can maybe, Brittany, you give a little bit of your background on yourself and what led you into the blueberry industry? Sure. Um, I run and manage my family's commercial blueberry farm just outside of Gainesville, Florida. We first planted in about 2010 on a timber track that was previously owned by another arm of our um, family companies. Uh, my parents in the early 70s started a land rural ag development business where they owned, managed, and subdivided and sold rural ag properties, mostly timberland. And our current blueberry farm was, was one of those areas that we had developed. Uh, and then because of a series of events, ended up reacquiring a significant portion of what is now our family blueberry farm. Like I said, it's just outside of Gainesville, which is in the north central Florida. We're, our farm is probably more similar to uh, a southern Georgia farm than most of the rest of the state, but I am proud, you know, born and raised in Gainesville, Florida, University of Florida grad. I live here with my husband and my two children, Jeb and Emily, and just excited to be involved and, um, and be here. You've been more than involved and certainly played a role as part of 
the executive director for the Florida Blueberry Association there. But, you know, part of what I'm hoping to talk to you about is just kind of Florida over the last five years, you know, your farm maybe as well, like what's changed. And then I'd like to kind of get into talking about, you know, this year's crop and then the future ahead for Florida. So from your perspective, it'd be good just to kind of hear your thoughts on on your farm. And then uh, we could talk a little bit about what Florida has been like over the last five years. Sure. So our farm uh, actually probably generally represents well the trends in, in Florida as far as planting and replanting. Uh, we planted our original 50 acres in 2010 and then planted several additional fields, 2013, 15, 17, to get us up to 112 acres, at which point we started having to cycle out some of the older fields. So once 112 acres our farm is down to uh, about 60 acres, and we're in the process of replanting 50 of it. And that's generally, I would say, similar to the trend of, of Florida in the 2008 to 10 region up to 2012. There was a major planting increase in the state for a number of reasons, but blueberries around that time in Florida became a little bit more of a significant crop uh, for the state as, as opposed to previously just a small niche market. And then similarly, a lot of those plantings are around the age where they're being replanted. So I would say in the last, you know, two to three years, there's been a major emphasis on uh, replanting and replacing acreage with newer, higher yielding plants from the, you know, the University of Florida IFAS breeding program, as well as others. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about what decisions you're making, you know, as a grower there on which varieties. So I know you mentioned the University of Florida, but uh, obviously there's others that have a lot of plant breeding resources and genetics. So what are you thinking about beyond yield? Is there particular criteria, flavor, size, sheen harvest? What, what's the decision tree for you when you're thinking about putting a new variety in there in Florida? Well, at the, at the beginning, in our first 50 acres, uh, I'm not going to tell you where the variety was from. It was not a University of Florida variety, but we had maybe 10 or 15% of a particular variety that was not very good tasting, but it yielded well. It, you know, it made us money commercially. And I think you know, the trend in the industry has been that those types of varieties that aren't necessarily that great tasting, we've moved away from those. So of course, taste is always going to be a factor. But additionally, plant structure is very important. Uh, machine harvestability is very important. Because of machine harvestability, condensed crop is also important so that you can machine the crop less times, you know, to prevent maybe plant damage or you know, any injury to the root systems. So yeah, I would say machinability, condensed crop, great tasting, along with machinability, of course, comes, you know, firmness. Uh, so those are all things that we're trying to look for and identify, as well as production numbers when we are entertaining a new variety for, for our farm. But um, I think, you know, across the state and, and country, that's what all growers are, are really looking toward. As far as the timing, because our farm has typically been a little behind the curve on, on the Florida production curve, and like I said, we're, we're closer to Georgia, we've never been so targeted on trying to get those early yielders that also typically have a higher price. But I think it seems like the, the trends over time, you know, those 
few days or even a week time, of course, have an impact on your on your bottom line production wise. But it seems like that's not as severe as it once was. You know, over time, that pricing curve is not as steep as it once was. So hitting a particular window doesn't always make or break with the same severity your season. Sure. Well, and and I know this is a little bit like picking your favorite kid, but is there a variety for you that you just love that it stands out to you? I mean, I ha- it is like picking a kid because you love them all for different reasons. I like farthing. We have the most acreage of our current planting in farthing. But I, I would say that further down south that people do not typically like farthing as much as I do. Uh, so I think our our site and our climate has the correct requirements for farthing to be a good producer. Sam Joaquin is a Fall Creek variety that, you know, that's what I like to give friends and family or if I want to make a good impression on just size and, and taste and presentation, I'm going to give them that one. And then we just planted a little bit of Optimus, um, but I haven't seen it on our farm production-wise yet, but I, I'm, a, I'm excited about, you know, that variety for the future of Florida and, and for ours. And then, you know, there's several other varieties that are, are recent releases that we're looking at, but I'm by no means the expert in that. Uh, Patricia Munoz really has done an excellent job, though, on blueberrybreeding.com, which is the UF IFAS breeding program's website where, you know, you can look up literally on, on several different sites how many grams by week, by date are produced and anything you would need from a financial perspective or a growing perspective to make that decision on what might work financially for your farm is on that website for those varieties. So it's been a tremendous asset to me as a grower. Yeah, Patricio has done a really nice job. In fact, he and I were uh, looking at that yesterday. Just, I was wanting to see where everything could be. I was actually looking for an old variety guide. I was looking for like a paper version that I could take a photo of if he had one that he could send me. So I'm, I'm actually still working on that. But, but then, you know, he and I got talking about this and it is really remarkable what resource that becomes to growers for, you know, just looking at varieties, comparing notes and, and having all that information online. Well, no, I know it's hard to pick which one's your favorite, but thanks for sharing. And, uh, you know, I think it's just interesting always because of what farms experience. It's unique to the property they're on. It's unique to the particular window they're shooting for. Uh, There's a lot of criteria that I know you all consider when picking these varieties. But you're also the former executive for the Florida Blueberry Association. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about, you know, your transition in that leadership role, you know, what's happening there today, you know, in terms of any change of focus. I know they've got somebody else who's kind of taken over your role. So I thought we could talk a little bit about what's changed at the association there and and who's taken on that responsibility since you left. I originally got involved with the Florida Blueberry Growers Association just as a board member, probably eight or nine years ago. And then I served as president for one term, immediately prior to being asked to serve as the executive director. I served as the executive director for President Ryan Atwood's term, which was a two-year term, and then President Leonard Park's term. And then going into his second term, I took a step back, you know, so I could focus more on my family farm and industry involvement at a national and international level, but left the association in great hands. President Leonard Parker serving his second term, and Beth Eng has taken over a lot of the uh, administrative 
roles that I was previously responsible for. She's done a fantastic job and she's been there since I started as executive director. So the association is in good hands and we continue to be involved in all aspects of Florida agriculture, as well as the Southeast and uh, of course, USHBC and NABC. Well, and I know you've been really involved and I certainly appreciate your willingness to serve on the USHBC board. So again, I want to just congratulate you on your secretary appointment to the member role of the USHBC. Thank you so much. You know, USHBC is such an important part of industry promotion, uh, marketing and, and development. And, you know, any way that I could be a part of getting more blueberries and shopping carts across the world and increasing demand, I'm just really excited to, to be a very small part of that. Well, it's an important part, and uh, I'm looking forward to working with you and the rest of the newly appointed board in this new year ahead. So let's take a quick break here. I want to hear more about the outlook for Florida this coming season, which is, you know, really the spirit of this conversation with you taking on those reports and kicking off the domestic season. So before we do, it's time for our crop report. Right now we've got Mexico, Chile, and Peru all shipping fruit. So here once again is your blueberry crop report. It's time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today you'll hear from Mario Ramirez in Mexico. This was recorded on February 22nd, 2023. Hi everyone, here Mario with the Mexican Blueberry Report for week number 7 from February 11th to February 18th. For week 7, Mexico exports a total volume of 5,300,000 pounds of fresh blueberries. And from this volume, 5% go to Asia and Europe. It is a volume around 252,000 pounds. And the resting 5 million goes to the United States. The organic volumes keeps great, with 18% of the total exportations to the United States. It is 920,000 pounds. And total volume of the wheat grow 9% respecting week number 6. The total volume from the beginning of the season at the date is 54,358,000 pounds. The main production remains in central Mexico and we're expecting the next month the volumes from Sinaloa will begin until the peak of the season. There are no affectations reported in weather for this week and that's all in my report. Thank you very much. See you next week. Well, thanks so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where Joe's making all of that data available to see more of what's happening in the blueberry industry, including USDA shipping price and movement, retail category performance, Nielsen monthly retail sales reports, and much, much more. Make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. Okay, let's go back to Brittany for today's episode. Brittany, I thought we'd just talk a little bit about where things stand for the 2023 season as you guys get ready to kick off and picking begins. From your perspective, how is this year shaping up? So this year has been unlike any other, and I feel like I say that every year, but so far, you know, we had an extremely, extremely unprecedented cold event over Christmas, which is, is rare. And, you know, we normally don't have those temperatures nearly as low as they were during that time. So that did put several of our growers in a position where they needed to protect, uh, which is not typical for December. But as far as you know, spring, again, the weather has been just uncharacteristic. It's been cool, but not freezing. Uh, the last two nights, I actually was overnight 
at the farm watching the temperatures, but it never quite got to freezing. And this is the first time we've been growing that we haven't had to freeze protect yet in January or February, though there have been several, you know, on watch nights. But I would say as far as the crop is concerned, uh, it's a little bit delayed from the normal start date because of all the minimal changes in weather. It's, it's pushed the plants back just a little bit. But across the state, I think production looks really great. The numbers should be substantial. But I do think there will be a little bit of a delay as far as the beginning of the pick date for us. Yeah, I mean, when you think back on seasons that have been, you know, really successful for Florida, what has been the differentiator in your mind? And how does that compare to what you're seeing in this season? So for Florida, we're a little bit different than a lot of other states. You know, we don't always finish picking production-wise. Once the price drops, you know, there might be a significant portion on any given farm, and it depends on the finances of that particular farm, that particular year sometimes, what your decision is, whether or not you want to continue harvesting or not. So, you know, 25 million pounds has been, I think, plus or minus what's been shot for, but, you know, we've seen less. We've seen 20 million pounds and even less than that. So I think for us, sometimes the deciding factor is toward the end of the season when growers decide to quit picking as opposed to a production issue. Now, of course, there are outliers. I think, I don't remember if it was 2016 or 17, you know, we did have a low production year that that year because of, you know, weather and things like that. But yeah, generally speaking, I would say, you know, weather is going to be our, our biggest factor at the beginning of the season, deciding when we're going to start picking. And then when the rest of the Eastern states, as well as California and Mexico start ramping up their production, that again is going to decide the end of our season more so sometimes than when we're out of fruit. Yeah. And you guys are, you know, almost a hundred percent fresh. I mean, there really isn't a lot of, if I'm familiar of any process. So, I mean, do you see any future in, in Florida doing any processing or is this still going to be a hundred percent, 99%? You know, we look at processed every year because if there's some reason where berry can't go fresh, it, it's painful not to use that for something, it, you know, just to dispose of it. But there's very few times when frozen is an option that makes financial sense. The production costs in Florida are just higher than a lot of other places. And, you know, we don't have the same numbers as maybe a northern high bush or even a rabbit eye per acre. So the, the return on investment normally just doesn't make sense for frozen at what the frozen prices have been in the recent past. But there have been one or two blue moon occasions that you know we've found an outlet for frozen that did make sense, but it's not typical. What other things that you see ahead for Florida in terms of trends impacting the industry? I mean, what I know you talked a little bit about uh, varieties related to fresh consumption, flavor, size, those sorts of things. But what, what other things are you seeing, you know, impacting the industry there in Florida that is trending? I'm sure everybody thinks that their state is innovative, but uh, I, I think that our group of Florida growers that I've had to mentor me and, and to look up to in the industry, they're just tremendous growers. They're extremely knowledgeable, always on the cutting edge of innovation and technology. So I think we're early adapters in Florida. And, you know, we've we've pushed the envelope on machine harvestable varieties for uh, Southern Highbush. 
not just machine harvestability, but the increased efficacy of machine harvestability. Of course, quality has always been our number one concern, and we don't want there to be a visible or detectable difference between something that's hand-picked or machine-picked. And that's a, that is a high bar that we've set for ourselves as growers to achieve and strive for. But you know, I think it's something that everyone here is, is serious about. Of course, machinability goes to the bottom line. It's obviously going to be more cost-effective to pick by machine than it is by hand. And with the increased cost of H-2A labor, the adverse wage rate, it makes more business sense to try and go that route. But again, going that route while not sacrificing production or quality has been, you know, something that's taken a collaborative effort across across the state and, and with our extension offices and University of Florida, IFAS, and, you know, a concentrated group of growers. It's the holy grail for sure, not just for Florida. I think everybody's looking at, you know, how to reduce costs. Can you really bring a, a hand-picked quality variety forward that can be machine harvest? And, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, where we're seeing this, you know, kind of across the industry in terms of an effort, what, what do you see as kind of that future ahead of, of, or maybe it's already being realized there in Florida in terms of what percentage of the crop do you see today that's being machine harvested for fresh? Maybe we start there. So I would say the larger growers that have made a point to incorporate machine harvest over the last several years, maybe four to five years in their operations, it could be 40 to 60% as a target, but not, not everyone is there yet. So as far as the state, you know, I don't know that I could even put a number on it. 15%, less than 20%, I would say machine harvest, but it's a grower by grower case. And the growers that have been really dedicated to increasing their machine harvest production, what I've heard is, is normally around 40 to 60% of, of their production will be machinable. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the season this year. You guys had a, you know, almost a uh, record high over the last, I'd say, 10 years, it looks like, in 2022, coming in at 25.1 million compared to, I think, 25.3 in 2015. So last year was a big year for Florida. It doesn't look like you guys are predicting that same amount, but do you have off the top of your head what you think that forecast will be for 2023? I don't know that I'm ready to put a number on it, but I would say reports are that the production is going to be, it's going to be a good year. So we'll leave it at that for today. <laughs> We're going to leave it at a good year. All right. Well, is there anything else, Brittany, that we can add or you'd like to share before we let you go? No, again, I'm just excited at this opportunity and humbled that Ken Patterson thought that I would be worthy of, of filling his shoes. Uh, he's been such a big part of the industry. I hope to make him proud and be able to carry on his legacy. You're going to do great. He's, he was great. You're going to do great. Again, congratulations on your appointment by the secretary to the board for the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. That's not, that's not a small thing to be picked by the secretary. So congratulations to you. And I look forward to working with you on that board in 2023 and look forward to seeing the harvest coming out of Florida. So appreciate your leadership there uh, and certainly your support for the efforts underway at USHBC. So thank you for your time today, Brittany. Great. And we'll see you next week in San Diego.
Well, I always appreciate a great sit down conversation with Brittany. She's a lot of energy. She's got a lot to share. I always gain something from our conversations in particular, you know, just kind of hearing her talk about the future of replanting, not just on her farm. She talked uh, about other farms there in Florida who are going through that same process of replanting over the last several years, uh, her 50 acres in particular, and just kind of the decision-making process that she's going through uh, that I think all the farms there are thinking about. It's not so much about hitting a particular window. This isn't a make or break moment like it used to be for those high prices or that kind of cycle of production that was going through that Florida window. Uh, so interesting just to kind of hear how she's thinking about the future ahead. And again, I just want to acknowledge, you know, her transition for Ken in this role. Ken did an outstanding job. He's been a great leader in this space. And Brittany's going to carry that torch here week to week for that Florida season. So we're looking forward to her voice being a part of those weekly crop calls. Again, congratulations to Brittany. She's going to be on the USHBC board. Uh, we've got a lot of work we're doing there to make sure that, you know, demand continues to outstrip supply. That's really what it's all about, keeping those the value of the blueberry up high and in the hands of consumers. So that's it for episode 129. Again, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Blueberries.